This is the Southern Hills Church of God, and this is our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you and guides you and builds your faith. God bless and enjoy this message. If you open your Bible to Luke chapter 1. God, we thank you, Father. (laughs) Oh, he's got a word for somebody today. Luke chapter 1, then put a bookmark at Mark chapter 9. We're going to read two stories this morning. This message today, we're going to pray in just a moment. Because y'all know, know, know me by now that I don't preach a message without praying and getting God to cover this pulpit. But Luke chapter 1, and I also put a bookmark on Mark chapter 9. This message today is about sin, but it's not about any particular, uh, it's not a, a general message. It's about one specific particular type of sin. It, it's, it's not a sin that a lot of us think about and rather one that's not discussed much. But the sermon to me is one of the most hated sins in the mind of God, and it is when this sin is committed, God's hands are almost tied. And it's the sin of unbelief. The sin of unbelief. Do you believe that God can come through for you? Do you believe that God can come through? The sin of unbelief. Would you help me pray? God, I praise you right now. With praise and thanksgiving. Father God, that you'd break down any walls in this church house this morning that might be hindering the word of God. But rather that when this word is spoken, it pierces through a heart, Father, and transforms that person. Not because of the man speaking, but because of the God who he serves. God, I ask you right now that you'd be with us this morning. That you would do with me what you did with Moses when you said, I will be your mouth when you speak. Father God, I pray that you'd open up our ears this morning to hear, to open up our minds to know that you'd open up uh, our eyes to see the truth of your word. God, meet with us today. It's in your name I pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. We're talking about two stories this morning. talks about unbelief. Here's what unbelief does, okay? Unbelief talks to itself instead of talking to God. Unbelief is the absence of God in any circumstance. Unbelief depends upon the arm of the flesh rather than the hand of God. Unbelief is belief, but let me tell you something. It's the belief that God can't not find you, that he cannot come for you, that he cannot hold you, and that he will not see you through. Unbelief says that the mountain is going to come down on top of you. Unbelief says that the storm is too big and it will overtake you. Unbelief says that the waters are going to drown you. Unbelief says that debt is going to overwhelm you. Unbelief says that the pain is going to overcome you. Unbelief says your marriage is over, that your children are lost, that your home is destroyed, and that your God is not good enough. That's what unbelief says. Unbelief loves to paint the bleakest picture that it can. It loves to get us mumbling to ourselves, I'm not going to make it. I just know this is going to turn out terrible. I've made the terrible mistake. Unbelief's the opposite of faith. And the Bible's very clear when it talks about faith, when it says that the just shall live by faith. So to highlight this point today, We're going to read two different passages, one in Luke chapter 1. We're going to talk about it for a minute, 
And then we're going to go to Mark chapter 9. But if you'll go to Luke chapter 1, the scripture's up on the screen. Starting with verse number 13. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice. The Hebrew word for rejoice means to dance. There will be many that dance. They'll throw a party. They're going to rejoice at the sight of this baby boy because of his birth. Verse number 15, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled, listen to this, filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. (laughs) He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Verse 17, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. But Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. And my wife is well along in years. Unbelief. Unbelief that God could come through. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. Which means God is my strength. It also means God is my judge. Okay, so he's coming to him saying, you can believe what I'm about to tell you or not. But as God is my witness, here's what I'm about to do. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. If you're taking notes this morning, the first thing that I believe you must do to overcome the sin of unbelief is that you have to believe that God is for you. Did you hear that? That no matter what happens, no matter what situation you you come to, that your God is for you and not against you. Let me tell you that God who began a good work in us is not about to stop now. What he started, he has promised to complete. So if he has began, because he is a good God, he is always going to see it through. God has made a decision, and that decision is simply this. He will not allow the death of his only begotten son to be in vain. I don't want, did you hear that this morning? God will not allow any problem or any enemy to get in the way of his son being glorified. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that will prevail. Right? The Lord's purpose will always prevail. God Almighty is going to have the last word in your life, your home, your job, your city, and your church. What God has said to be true will come true. It will do us some good this morning if we'll just admit to ourselves that we need to learn more about God's way of doing things. Many of our struggles with faith have to do with timing. We believe that at least in a theory that God will keep his promises but when right we always question the the uh, the the the, the when part of it if the answer doesn't come as soon as we expect then fear which breeds unbelief in our life tends to come out and begins to assault us and soon we're tempted to throw away our confidence in God and ignore the fact that God intends to do us good he works for us not against us but we serve a God that works on his own time frame Not my will, his will, not my timing, his timing, right? So we have to understand that that 
that, 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 that timing is not for me to decide. But that we serve a God who is not slow concerning his promises. Who is not slack, but he will also not rush things. We have to understand that we serve a God who's true to his word. But I get it though, okay? I get it. And I'm not going to stand up here and say that I don't understand where people come from. I get it because we go through seasons of hurt and pain. And sometimes we question, how in the world could this be for my good? Or how could God be working in me through this? The problem is we're looking at the situation with earthly eyes and not heavenly eyes. We see what we see on earth and we don't see it the way that he, he did. He never said that the pain would be good. Okay? He never said that sorrow would be good. But he did say, I'll turn your mourning into dancing. He said, I can turn your sorrow into joy. He, he, he didn't say the season of pain would be good. He said, I will make it good. <laughs> Come on. We forget that. We question, well, God, why? You aren't a very good God. He says, just wait, just wait, just wait. Just wait because I'm about to make it good. What the enemy meant for harm, I'm going to make it good. Second thing you have to do is we must have eyes for the supernatural, not the natural. Natural eyes say no. The supernatural eyes say yes. We're talking about a man here who was an elderly priest, had no children. People in the town naturally assumed he and his wife would never have any kids. Not only was Elizabeth barren, but she was now too old to give birth. And so he was simply going about his work in the temple one day when an angel appeared and startled him with a message. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You're to give him the name John. He'll be a joy and delight to you. Many will rejoice. The problem here is that he saw things in the natural. He saw the situation around him and said, there's no way possible that could ever happen. My wife's too old. She's barren. But see, our faith in Christ runs on a different clock. If you were God and you were looking to choose any set of parents across the land to give this son to and raise up a messenger, who, who, who would you pick? There's no doubt in my mind that you'd search through the land and... You would find a, a young lady in her childbearing years. You'd find a dad who has a good, healthy job that can they provide for that home. And, and, but what does God do? He, he scans the whole area. He says, there, there she is. She's not been able to have children. They've been praying for children, and I've heard their prayer. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send an angel, and I'm going to go promise to them that this child is, 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 is a coming. Because what he wants Zechariah to see is that you don't look at things through the natural eyes. You look at things through the supernatural. And what man says is impossible, God says, watch this. <laughs> Many times in our life, God waits while a situation goes from bad to worse. He appears to let it slip over the edge so that you'll, you and I will say, there's no way for this to ever work out right. There's no way I can ever come out on top. There's no way this is going to work for my good. <laughs> so, and isn't this the same thing that happened to Mary and Martha? Right? They, they had Lazarus. God promised Right? And, well, he's dead. 
And it's, it's at that point when Jesus showed up and he raised him from the dead. There was unbelief in their eyes. Because we tend to think you have God's promise, great glory, hallelujah. We have God's answer over here, but it's during this waiting time, this, this waiting room time, where we tend to forget what he promised and don't think that the miracle can come. And this is where a lot of us are in right now, that we know what God said, but we just don't think that we can get here. So we stay here, and we gripe, and we complain, and we argue, and we do all this stuff that God never says to do. All he said was, wait and trust me. See, God is drawn into faith by prayer. However, he's pushed away by, un, by unbelief. Faith is like a magnet that draws God to any situation. I want you to notice how much of this story is centered around prayer and worship. If you go into the background of what they were doing, outside in the courtyard, the people were praying to God as best they knew. And, 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 you, and you have Zechariah himself who was inside. He was burning incense as an act of worship. He was praying, he was praising, and he was worshiping. And it was in that atmosphere when the angel showed up and gave him the promise. It was through his prayer and through his worship. And this is what God was saying. He's saying, don't count me out just yet. You see, God could have shown up at any time. He's God, right? But he specifically chose to show up when they were praying. Let me to give you some examples in the Word of why I know that's true. You have, you have, a, you have a Peter who went up to uh, the rooftop to pray in Acts 10. There God gave him a, a vision about reaching out to other ethnic groups. The early church gathered after some had, had been killed and all of a sudden in Acts 4, the Holy Ghost fell and they were all filled with the Spirit. The 12 disciples never asked Jesus, teach me to preach. They never asked him to teach me to teach. Their question to their Messiah was, teach me to pray. <laughs> so he was in a time of prayer and a time of worship when the angel showed up. If that isn't a message for us today. That if you want Jesus to show up in your situation, if you want Jesus to show up in your life, then you better have a heart for praise and for worship. And you better start praying about it because it's in that atmosphere when God shows up. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Okay, what prayer? The many prayers over the years for Elizabeth to have a child. Zechariah had probably had those moments in life. Oh, dear, don't you know it's going to be great one day when we have, oh, Jesus, give us a child. Oh, I can't wait to be a dad and take him to his baseball games, right? He's sitting there thinking about all that's to come. And then years go by, years go by, and she can't have a child. And it's like his faith. The promise was broken because the time had lapsed so much that they never thought it could happen. <laughs> you see, you remember Acts 10 and 4 when an angel said to Cornelius, he said, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. What he's saying is your prayer has not been forgotten. 
You're seeing things with earthly eyes here. You see 10 years. You see 20 years. You see a 25 years. But God runs on a different clock. He's saying just wait to be patient. You see, when we seek for God for answers in our lives, we must persevere in praying, letting it build up day after day until the force of it becomes a mighty tide pushing over all obstacles. No wonder God says that his house is supposed to be a house of... Right? We've got time for sports and recreation and leisure, but do we have a time slot for prayer? Have we set aside time for prayer in our homes to, so that the supernatural can take place? You know, because we have developed a culture where there's a lack of private time for prayer. Because it's go here and go there and go there. And just always on the move. But as a child of God, we have to remember that we must pray. We must worship because it's in that atmosphere when God shows up. Number three, unbelief is simply second-guessing God. It's second-guessing God. When Zechariah raised his objection in verse 18, he reveals the fact that he apparently had not been praying for the child recently. In his mind, he, he sees Elizabeth back home in a small town, completely unable and miserable, and she will never have a child. His question, how can I be sure of this? How can I be sure of this, God? Do you see the state and the condition that she's in? She had two things going against her. She was old and she was barren. But see, God doesn't work on logic. Because if God worked on, large, on, on, on a logic, Red Seas would never part. Rocks would never break and water come out of them. The, uh, the, uh, the, uh, bitter water would never turn sweet. Blind eyes would never be opened. If you're walking on a water, would never be possible and healing could never be had because God doesn't work on logic. When God declares something, listen to me church, you need to hear this. When God declares it, it's as if it has been already done. He said, Elizabeth will have a child. His name will be John. He will be great. Case closed. Done deal. Prayer answered. Because when God speaks, it's already been answered. So take encouragement this morning. If God said it, it doesn't matter if it happens tomorrow or eight years from now. It's happening. I mean, think about this, okay? I want you to think about the situation that this man was in. He's praying. He's worshiping. He's inviting the presence of God to his life. A supernatural being shows up to him, and he doesn't believe that the supernatural can, can take place in his wife's life. Common sense says that if a supernatural being shows up out of nowhere, then I guess he can do just about anything. <laughs> Don't ever question God's ability. Don't ever question God's ability. Let me read you this next story. It's really good. Mark chapter 9. And it's going to be up on the screen too. It says, When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law. What were they doing? They were arguing. They were arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? Because arguing solves every problem, right? What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by spirit. It's robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it 
throws him to the ground. It, the spirit, the, 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 the being demon-possessed, it, that, that evil spirit robbed him of his speech, seizes him, throws him to the ground. He foams at his mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. And this is what they were arguing about. Why all this was happening. And I want you to listen to his response. Because now, uh, the, the disciples tried, but there was something missing. There was something lacking. What's he say? You unbelieving generation. And I could see Jesus getting mad and, and upset. He's saying, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? He said, bring the boy to me. He said, if you can't do it, if all y'all going to do is argue about it, then bring him to me because there's something greater that can be done here. He said, bring me the boy. Can you imagine the tension kind of going on right now? <laughs> I mean, you could probably hear a pin drop. They're sitting here arguing. They are bickering. They're complaining. They're fighting with each other. All of a sudden, Jesus walks up and everything goes, shh. And then Jesus rebukes them. He said, what are you doing? What? Why are you arguing about this? He said, bring him to me. Now, so they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, not when the boy, not when the dad, not when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rallied around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It, once again, the spirit has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But listen to this. But if you can do anything, <laughs> take pity. Okay, now this is where the story gets good to me. Because he's literally standing in the presence of the almighty Messiah. He's standing in the presence of this king who he's heard all these stories about. And he's looking at him asking, well, if you can do anything. And imagine what Jesus was, was saying. And here's his response. He said, if you can. If. You know who I am? The Messiah. No, I, 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 if, if you can. And I can imagine Jesus stop breathing for a moment. Just like, man, come on now, brother. Everything is possible for those who believe. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. See, it's okay to have questions. It's okay to wonder. But it's never okay to doubt. The dad said, I, I, I do believe, God. I really, I really do. You see, there was a time when I really did believe. But what you don't understand, Jesus, is my son's been hurting. And I've been praying for a long time. And I prayed and I'd fast and I'd prayed. I took him to every doctor and, and I've, 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 I've. And he's not said, but you, you, you. He's done it all himself instead of letting the God of all gods to do it for him. He said, I, I, I. 
So he said, yes, Jesus, I do believe. I, I, there was a time when I knew that you could, but help me overcome my unbelief. Jesus said, watch this. I let you get here. Because I'm going to do something in you right now that you're not going to believe. And it's going to be so amazing that you'll never doubt me in that way again. But you wouldn't have got to that point unless I'd taken you through this crisis. You see, sometimes he allows us to go through a crisis so he gets us to the place where we know that it's God. And we know that he's the only one that can answer so that when the next situation arises, we don't do what we did before. That we believe in God the first time. And that's exactly what we do. You say, God, I do believe. I really do. But I, and I've been praying for healing. I've been asking for years that my kids would get back in church. God, I, I've asked multiple times for help with this debt. God, I believe. But oh, help me overcome my unbelief. Watch what happens next. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus. But Jesus. Those are two of the most amazing words in the entire Bible. But Jesus. It's like nobody else. No doctor. No, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. Now I want you to watch. After Jesus had gone indoors, the disciples asked him privately because they were too embarrassed and ashamed to ask him publicly. They asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can, can only come out by prayer. As if to say, if only you had believed. If only you had prayed. If only you had done this, then that spirit would already be gone. But you argued and you complained and you didn't do what I've told you to do. Therefore, I had to come in and I had to do it and show you this is how it's supposed to be done. If you had only prayed... You see, when you have unbelief towards what God spoke to you, God will have a strong reaction to your lack of faith. The angel in the first story announces the old man will lose his speech for nine months. When God sends a promise, he is grieved and saddened if his people don't believe him. In the story that we just now read, Jesus was so caught off guard that he questioned not only the dad, but his closest friends. You have this dad whose mouth is zipped shut. I think it's kind of ironic, too, that God chose to shut his mouth because... The mouth is the vehicle by which unbelief enters the realm of faith. Unbelief starts right here. Speaking it. And so the angel shut his mouth so that he couldn't unbelieve anymore. You're going to believe that I can. By your words you shall be justified and by your words you shall be condemned. Right? Is that not what the word says? God gets irritated when believers choose to not believe. When they start to backpedal after what he's promised them. The Lord is trying to shout, just trust me. Just trust me. It's coming. I promise you. It's coming. Have I not been so good to you that you can't trust me one more time? Just trust me. And here's what we do. We let God be God. And we let him do it. 
The hardest part of faith to me is the waiting room. It's that we lack the patience to wait upon God when all unbelief tends to settle in. That's when we try to fix things ourselves. Every time we make it worse than what it was, we complicate the situation to the point where it takes God much longer to answer it. If we would just get out of the way, what did a David pray in Psalm? He said, I waited patiently for the Lord. Instead of taking matters into his own hands, David learned to wait on God to work out his plan in his time. And God proved over and over, as David said, he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. What God is telling us this morning is trust me. Trust me. Give me about five to six minutes. I'm, I'm just about to land this plane. If you could play some music softly into the, uh, into the background here. I've been thinking this week on how I can relate this to us. And, and I, um, I, I've, got those my, I've, I've got some pretty severe back pain. I, um, I've lived with it for a lot of my life. Two Lower discs that are, that are you know, a bulging causes nerve pain down my legs. Worst feeling in the entire world. I've had chiropractors look at it. I've had surgeons look at it. I've had two nerve blocks. Okay, it's just bad. And, and there's days, yesterday was one of them, where it was hard to walk. My mind says you need to take it easy, Chris. You know, don't push it too hard. Okay, you need to rest. Don't overdo it. But every doctor tells me to stretch it, to work it, to walk around, to exercise, to do all these things. You see, but what I'm hearing the doctor say isn't consistent with what I think or how I feel. I feel that if I work it out more, then I'll be worse off. What the doctor's telling me to do is push through the pain. To push through it. Because what you're doing is you're strengthening the muscles around it. And that when you strengthen the muscles around it, it will help your back, not hurt your back. If you just rest and take it easy all the time, you're not making those muscles stronger. So here's what you got to do. Let me, let me say this. What do you do? When what you see isn't consistent with what you believe God said. That's when unbelief starts, right? When what you see isn't consistent with what God said. You say, God, I don't see it like you see it. You're telling me to do this. I don't quite understand it. But you know what? It's easier to do it my way. But I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to do what you tell me to do. I'm not going to doubt you. I'm going to remove all unbelief from my mind. I know you're in this. I know you said it. So I'll trust you. And God may take you on a journey. And let me just tell you right now, it doesn't mean that things are going to get, are going to get a better first. They might get worse. Things may get more painful. And you may even have more tough times. But if you continue to stick with God... No matter what he does around you, I can assure you, 
that if you hold on to him, at some point, he's going to take your faith to a place of intimacy, of trust, of safety, to a place you've never, ever dreamed possible. If you're willing to go through the seasons of doubt, in fact, everybody that I, I really know in ministry that has experienced seasons like that that have come out from the other side said that I don't regret a single day because it got me to where I am now. Because what does James tell us? Brothers, consider it pure joy when you face trials. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must complete its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, God didn't say the season of pain would be good. He said, I'll make it good. Because I'm going to teach you to be mature. I'm going to complete what I started in you. And what's going to happen is this. When you beat the unbelief in your life, and you continue to stick with God, even though the exercise might hurt it for just a time. You're going to start believing God, not because of what you see with your eyes, but because of who you know Him to be. God, I don't see it yet, but I know who you are. I know your character. I know the integrity. The integrity. I, I know who you. I know your nature. So God, I'm going to fall on my knees and I'm going to pray and I'm going to worship and I'm going to trust you, God. And if it takes eight weeks or if it takes eight years, God, I'm willing to wait because unbelief isn't helping me. It's making my back pain worse. It, it's it's making me not, not be able to walk, God. But Lord, I'm going to learn to do what you tell me to do. Because even though I don't understand it right now, God, I know you're working it out for my good. God, I, this unbelief's got to go. If God said it, it's happening. So what do we do? We, we repent for the sin of unbelief. Of unbelief. We read his word, apply his word, we pray. You know what I've helped myself do? My wife helps hold me accountable when I don't want to exercise, when I don't want to work it out. You know what the doctor said, right? Have people in your life that hold you accountable that when you get down in the dumps, that you're that you're willing to hear them say, No, this is what you do. Maybe you're here today. There's that prayer, again, that you've been praying for. You know that God can. But from here to there is a long journey. And I'm in this void right now, God, that I, I, I believe, God, I really do believe. But help me overcome my unbelief. I've been praying for this miracle in my life. God, help me get there. Help, help me trust you more. God, I've been praying for my children. I've been praying for my grandchildren. I've been praying for my, for my dad. I've been praying for my healing. I've been praying for this, been praying for that. And God, I'm in this season where this unbelief is starting to creep in. With all eyes closed and all heads bowed, you say, Pastor, I need prayer this morning. To have confidence that my prayer is still being heard by God.